Uh, scripture today comes from Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, um, God, just for the salvation of Christ. Lord, you are worthy. Um, you are worthy. There's no one else. It is only you. And God, I just thank you, Lord, just that we don't pray to an empty idea or to a good philosophy, but to the living God who is here with us today. As we just sang, your spirit is here to move among us, to work in our hearts, to transform us. And God, I know and I acknowledge my own weakness right now as a preacher of your word, Lord, just um, God, all power belongs to you. Nothing that I say will have any effect, Lord. It's what your word says. It's what your scripture does. It's what your spirit does. And I am trusting in you, God, to move among us here and just to do a great work. Lord, lead me as I lead. I need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Doing good? Uh, it's good to see you. My name is Logan Smith. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Very excited that I get to preach today on uh, joy, even though I have to follow up after Chuck, who did a phenomenal job last week preaching on love. Did he not? Um, I got to pick on Chuck for a minute real quick, though, okay? So y'all are here in second service, and in second service, y'all seem to know his filter started to wane a little bit, and he started talking about um, how he gets frustrated with me and my skinny jeans, because when, if he were to wear my skinny jeans, he looked like a candy apple on a stick. Um, what came to my mind is I think he would look like, like Gru from Despicable Me. So uh, yeah, so just so y'all know, I'm getting skinny jeans for Chuck for Christmas. So when he comes up here looking like Gru, you are welcome, all right? You're welcome. So, praise God. All right. So, um, will I ever get you back after that? I hope so. Um, so again, we're in the season of Advent, which we've already kind of talked about today. Advent means arrival. Uh, we look at the arrival of Christ Jesus as a baby born in Bethlehem, but then we also look forward to the day when he will arrive again. And so I'm going to be real confessional with you real quick. Today we're preaching on joy. And so uh, last week, my wife, my loving, beautiful, awesome wife who loves to be honest with me, um, I w she asked me, she was like, so what are, you, what are you preaching on next week? And I said, joy. And she just gives me this like snarky little smile. She's just like, and I'm like, what? And she goes, I just think it's great that you get to preach on the thing you're worst at. And just like smile at me. And I was like, hey, hold, hold up real quick here, okay? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I mean, you're, you know, you love people well. You're pretty good with like peace and hope and stuff. But joy is just, just don't really have it. And I'm like, no, okay, hold up here. And then the spirit was very quickly like, bro, 
she's right 99.9% of the time. She's right right now. Just accept it and move on. I'm like, dang it, okay. So it's true. Uh, Joy is the one out of all the focuses of Advent that I do struggle with the most. And even though I hate to admit it, it is true, okay? I struggle with it. And I'll get to the details as to why I struggle with it so much later. Um, but, But the reality is, as long as we are here in a broken, sin-sick world, like what we just sang about, um, I think all of us are going to struggle with joy at some point, okay? We just, we just are. We allow the brokenness and uh, the broken circumstances and the broken people and just the brokenness of life to really get to us, and I'm, like, I'm more guilty of it than anyone. I just, I just am, and so let me just say at the outset of the sermon that this sermon is just as much, if not more so, for me as it is for you all, okay? Like me, Jeff and I, we always have this saying, like we, we just deliver the mail, it's y'all's job to open it, right? I'm delivering my own mail today, okay? And I gotta open it. But the fact is, as long as Jesus sits on his throne, we all have reason to have joy. And so I hope that today, as we dive into this passage in Ezra, we would all see the beauty of Christ Jesus and live faithfully in the great joy that he gives to us, okay? So here we are in Ezra chapter one. Why Ezra? What in the world do these verses have to do with Christmas, with Advent, or even just with Jesus at all? And I'm so glad you asked me because I'm going to tell you. Um, But to understand these passages in Ezra, first, we've got to get a little bit of a history lesson, okay? Y'all excited for some history this morning? All right, come on. Uh, So I got to go quickly through this while trying to make as much sense as I can. So just bear with me, okay? Y'all ready? All right, here we go. So here's what's going on. Hundreds of years before these verses that we just read in Ezra, uh, the nation of Israel has been split into two different kingdoms, okay? So you have Israel in the north, and you have Judah in the south, okay? Now, both kingdoms have their own kings, they have their own capitals, they have their own conflicts, their own policies, so on and so forth. For all intents and purposes, they really are almost two different nations. And so if you um, are curious as to why they split, that's a much larger history, don't have time to get into, read 1 Kings 12. If you take notes, write that down. That's where you read about the division between Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So the southern kingdom of Judah, in that kingdom, the capital city is Jerusalem. Okay? And in the city of Jerusalem is the temple of God where God's presence dwells. You with me so far? Um, so you got two kingdoms, Judah in the south, Jerusalem and Judah, temple in Jerusalem, God in the temple. Cool? Cool? Boom. So for hundreds of years, the people of Israel, as they've been separated, what's going on is the people of Israel are living in this constant pattern of open rebellion against the Lord. Okay, now when I say open rebellion, I'm not just meaning like, ah, you know, said a few cuss words here and there, told a couple lies, missed temple every once in a while. Like, I'm talking about like serious open rebellion where they are worshiping the gods of all the surrounding nations around them. Now, here's the deal. That may not sound like it's that big of a deal, but it is because like when those gods that they worship, like you need to know they didn't just like come into a church building and sing songs to them like what we do. When we talk about the worship of these other gods, you got to understand that worship included things like sacrificing their own children. It included things like temple prostitution. 
It included extremely wicked and horrible things that God has told them not to be a part of. And you gotta remember, these are the same people that God himself, in incredible display of power, rescued from the nation of Egypt. It's the same God, these are the same people that God made into a nation, that he gave them an identity, he gave them law, he has loved them, he has fought for them against all their enemies, and yet here they are living in this constant pattern of open rebellion against the Lord. And so what makes this pattern even more serious is that God, in his incredible love for his people, also has this constant pattern of pleading with them to return to him. He would send prophets, messengers, people who would declare to them, like, look, if you keep going down this road, there's going to be a a very bad day for you. Like, you, you can't keep doing this. There will be a judgment. God is pleading with you to come back, to repent, to turn of your sin. And so what we would see happen is if the people repented, God would forgive them and he would restore them. And there'd just be this time of of peace and joy, but then the people would rebel again, and God would send another prophet. There'd be another warning, and then they would repent, and then they'd be forgiven, and then they'd rebel, and then there'd be a prophet, and then there'd be warning, there'd be repentance, forgiveness, rebellion, so on and so forth. So I got two kids. Okay, I have Ezra, who, yes, is named after the book of Ezra, by the way. He's six years old. Um, and I have our daughter, Melody. She's only one, and she took her first steps last night, by the way. Uh, she, um, so what I'm about to say applies more to my six-year-old than does my one-year-old, even though I know this is way too soon going to apply to my one-year-old as well, okay? Parents in the room, y'all know there's only so many times you can warn your child of the consequences of their actions and tell them to stop doing something before you have to make them stop. Right? Like, no matter how much you love them, eventually you got to make them stop. And that doesn't mean you don't love them. It actually means you love them more when you discipline, right? And so here's the deal. God gets tired of warning his people. He's, he gets sick of it. He's, he's done. And so in the year 586 BC, God drops the hammer. In the year 586 BC, a nation called Babylon, the largest, most just, just powerful nation the world had ever seen up until this point. They rise up, and God sends the nation of Babylon to conquer Judah. Babylon comes to Judah. They absolutely destroy them. They destroy Jerusalem. They destroy all of its walls. They even destroy the temple. They take all of the treasures that are in the temple and they kill thousands and thousands of people. And those who are left alive are now taken as captives and exiles into the land of Babylon. I mean, this is a death sentence for Israel. This is an absolute death sentence. I mean, guys, you see, you need to understand something real quick, okay? Scripture says that God is slow to anger and never once says that he does not get angry. All right? It does not say that. God had warned them over and over and over. If you don't stop your rebellion, something's going to happen. It will be a death sentence for you. It will, you're not going to like it. There will come a day where the hammer drops. They ignore them. And in 586 BC, 
the nation of Israel, of Judah, they are conquered. And now they are helpless exiles in an enemy land with absolute no hope of escape. Okay, y'all with me still? Tracking with me? Okay. So now we find ourselves here back in Ezra, all right? So the people of Israel, I said they're helpless captives, they're exiles in Babylon. So about 50 years after Babylon destroys Jerusalem and carries them away as exiles, a new nation rises, an even more powerful nation with an even more powerful king than the nation of Babylon. That nation is the nation of Persia, and it is led by King Cyrus, Now, if you look up King Cyrus, you'll see that he is one of the greatest conquerors in the history of the world. Like, you got, like, Alexander the Great's, like, at the top, and Cyrus is, like, right underneath him, okay? He is just known for his strategy and for the way that he could conquer. And so the Persians become the most powerful nation on the planet, and they very quickly begin to conquer the world around them. And one of the nations that they conquer is the nation of Babylon. Now, who's in exile in Babylon? Israel. So now Israel's under a new rule and under a new king. Now, the nation that just had them captive, like, did things go super well for them? No. So now they're like, okay, what's this king going to do? What is this nation going to do? I mean, they were, they were strong enough to, to, to destroy Babylon. Like, there's no telling what they're going to do to us. There's no telling what Cyrus is going to do to us. But what Cyrus does is completely unexpected. See, Cyrus is smart, and he knows that if I want to keep people from starting a rebellion against me, I need to keep the people happy. So here's what he does. Go back to Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Let's read this again. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him and may he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. So what does Cyrus do? He says, go home, go home. Go worship your, like, you're, you're still mine. I've still conquered, but, but go home. Go to Jerusalem. Go rebuild your temple. Go worship your God again. I mean, guys, can you imagine the joy of hearing that news that after years of exile, I get to go home? This is the greatest news they could have possibly heard. Now, here's, here's what's even more awesome about this, okay? Y'all, y'all heard me say that God constantly warned the people that something bad was going to happen, right? But here's what God also did. God also promised that their punishment would not last forever. He also promised that one day the punishment's going to end. And it says, uh, look at Ezra 1, 1 again. It says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah. There's already a prophecy that God is also not just going to send them into exile, but he's going to rescue them out of exile, okay? So where do we see that in in Jeremiah? Uh, It's in a very familiar passage for most of us, Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do y'all know that's what that verse is really about? Like, I know we use it for graduations, and I know we, we, you know, hang it over our kids' cribs and stuff like that in the rooms, and that's all fine, that's good, there's nothing wrong with that, but what that verse really means is, look, you're about to go in exile, but I will bring you back. That's what that verse is really talking about, okay? And so here's what's even crazier. Not only has God promised to bring them back, there, there's another prophet named Isaiah, and he actually names Cyrus by name as the king who will bring them back. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 8, who says to Cyrus, my shepherd, he will fulfill all my pleasure, and says to Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt, and of the temple, its foundation will be laid. The prophet Isaiah names Cyrus by name as the king who will rescue Israel from their Babylonian captivity nearly 150 years before Cyrus is even born. Isn't that, like, that's just, that's awesome. So that is what is going on here when we get to Ezra chapter one. Cyrus is this prophesied king who God and in his incredible love and faithfulness to his people will use to destroy the nation that took them captive and to declare that they are free to go home. Okay, so the people of Israel set free by Cyrus to go home again, to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple and begin worshiping him again in their homes. Okay, so there's your history lesson. Take a deep breath now. Okay, because I know it's fire hosed you all with that, okay? So let's just take a deep breath because now we've got to get to Advent and we've got to get to joy, what in the world does this moment in Israelite history have to do with Advent, with Christmas, with joy, with any of it? See, here's what we see from all of this. Every single person in this room, every single one of us, are currently, right now, as I speak, you are living as an exile in one of two ways. And we have a prophesied king who has come and who is coming to rescue us. I'm going to say that again. Every single person in this room, without exception, you are living as an exile in one of two ways. But we have a prophesied king who has come and is coming to rescue us. So let's talk about that. I said we are exiles in one of two ways. Let's start with the first way that many of us in this room are currently living as exiles. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See that word alienated? You know what that word means? Exile. The first way that many of us in this room are currently living as exiles is you are in exile from the person of God himself. You're separated from him. You're an enemy of him, hostile towards him in mind and deeds. And I said this earlier, guys. When Judah and Jerusalem was sacked, that was a death sentence for the people of Israel. You need to understand, if you are in exile from God, that's your death sentence. I mean, I, I, I've talked to people who have said things to me like, you know, I really don't think that God's up there in heaven just waiting to send me to hell because I drank a beer or two here and there. 
You know, I don't think God's up in heaven, you know, waiting to send me to hell because I said a couple cuss words here and there. I don't think he's in heaven waiting to send me to hell because I watched this or because I did that, so on and so forth. Guys, you know what the fact of the matter is? They're absolutely right. God's not in heaven waiting to send them to hell because they're condemned already. That is what scripture says. Like, your death sentence does not come later. It's already on you. John chapter 3, verse 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Do you see that? Look, if you are living as this kind of exile, if you, are, you do not know the Lord, you are living in your death sentence right now. And you need to understand that just like Israel had no hope of conquering Babylon, setting themselves free, you have absolutely no hope of getting out of this exile. There's nothing you can do. There is no amount of pornography you cannot watch in order to make yourself back to God. There's no amount of cussing you don't do in order to get yourself back to God. There's no amount of going to church you can do to get yourself back to God. There's no amount of serving you can do. There's no amount of Caleb you can listen to. There's no amount of Bible you can read. There's no amount of anything you can do. What you need is a king who will conquer the sin and death that holds you captive and praise God our king has come and his name is Jesus. That is what you need. And that is who has come. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good noise of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Guys, this is why Jesus was born. This is why we celebrate Advent. This is why we do not have a so-so joy or a kind of joy or even a good joy. This is why we have great joy because God has made a way for us who were exiles to be brought back. And how did Jesus do this? He lived perfectly, sinlessly, faced with every temptation that you and I are faced with and yet never sinned. And yet this perfect Jesus took a cross and claimed all of your sin as his own, died the death that we deserve for our sin, and he conquered that sin by nailing it to the cross, and he died. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and he conquered death itself so that we who would believe in him and place our faith in him would rise into newness of life. Sin and death conquered forever, exile, done, I'm home with my God. That is why we celebrate this. That is why we have great, great joy. And that is the first exile that many of of us in this room are currently living in and need to be rescued from. The second way that many of us in this room are living as exiles is we are living as exiles in a lost world that does not know God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. See, there's the first exile, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, listen, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. This is the second exile, guys. We who are Christians... Our, uh, the royal priesthood, a holy nation. We, we who have surrendered our lives to Christ Jesus and have been rescued out of the first exile of darkness, we are now living as exiles in a completely different way. We are exiles in this world. And I don't mean that we're like, we're, we as, as Americans are here as exiles in post-Christian America. I mean, we as believers all around the world, across all cultures and across all languages and all politics and all policies, we are all strangers and exiles in this world. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus. Guys, our, our citizenship, our home, is heaven. Like, guys, this is our residence, but it's not our home. Our home is heaven. Where the Lord is, it's not in the sin-sick, broken world. You see, I said at the beginning that I struggle with joy most out of all the focuses of Advent. And guys, here's why, okay? It's because it really doesn't take much for me to realize that this is not my home. I mean, does it really have to take much for us to realize that? I mean, I could just drive down the road and somebody doesn't put on their turn signal. I know I'm not home. You know what I mean? Like, I go to, go to Subway, never once have I gotten a sub that looks like the picture, okay? I'm not home. You look at the war between Palestine and Israel, I know I'm not home. The war between Russia and Ukraine, I know I'm not home. You look at the way that people love their sin and you see how destructive it is to them, and I know I'm not home. Guys, I've been a youth pastor here for 10 years. And I'm telling you, the lies that I see kids believe, I know I'm not home. When I look at my own brokenness, my own sin, my own mistakes, my own just darkness that still is there, I know I'm not home. If I'm going to be honest, it, it robs me of joy. Gosh, I let it get to me. I let it absolutely break me down. And the fact of the matter is, guys, we all do this. I mean, guys, we, we look at the world around us. We look at the things that are broken, the things that are being taught and agendas being pushed and ideas that are being thrown around. And it's easy for those things to, uh, to, to rob us of our joy. But guys, listen, I, I've got to tell you this. I've got to tell me this, okay? You've got to stop expecting the world to look like what you think it should look like because it never will. Because why? Because we're the strangers here. We are the exiles here. This world is not the strange one. It's us. And yet we expect this world to look like, like, like kingdom. It's not. And so we allow it to rob us of our joy. And then what we see happen, at least what I see happen, is then we then as believers will start acting like unbelievers so that unbelievers will act like believers. And that's never going to work. 
Guys, listen, this world is as it is because scripture says this is the way the world is. We gotta stop acting like it's weird. It's not, it's normal. We're the weird ones. We're the strangers. We are the exiles, okay? But the fact of the matter is, as long as we're here, it's hard to have joy in the world that you're exiled in. So how do we have joy? Where does our joy come from? I'm gonna give you three quick ways and I'll start wrapping up. First off, you take joy in the fact that Christ has come to rescue you from your exile from God. Listen, if God had never done another single good thing for you in your life except send Jesus Christ to die and rise from the dead, you would still have every single reason for great joy. So rest in his rescue. Take joy in the rescue that Christ has come to give us. Second, understand that our exile now is not the same as the exile that Israel was in. Because you got like... Israel was, was captured, right? And Israel was led away as captives into a foreign land. Listen, you need to understand, you are not led into this world as a captive. You are sent into this world as a conqueror. You are sent into this world as a conqueror. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 again. Verses 9, 12. First off, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for its possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 12. It says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will do what? Will glorify God. On the day that he visits, guys, listen, you, you are not a captive of this world. You are a conqueror sent into this world so that this world of exiles would see your joy, they would see the life you live, they would hear the gospel you proclaim, and they too could be rescued from their exile. Like, imagine how much different this world would look if we stopped acting like victims all the time and started walking like victors. You're not a victim. You are not a victim. You're not a victim. You're the strange one in this world, but you're the victor. Because Christ has overcome, and you have overcome in Christ. Take joy in the mission that God has sent you into this world, not to suffer, but so that this world would know the same Jesus you know. That is why, that's the second reason why we can have joy. And lastly, we take joy in the fact that the same prophesied king who came to rescue you out of your exile from God is coming back again to rescue you out of your exile in this world. I read this passage every single year at Advent and I'll continue to read it because I love it so much. Revelation 21 verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When Cyrus took the throne in Persia, he declared that Israel could go home. Guys, Jesus, who sits on the throne, you got to understand, he's bringing home to us. When he comes back, he's bringing home to us everything will be as it should be. All the things that rob us of joy will be no more. We read to our son the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is just so beautiful. And all throughout there, it has this line that says, Jesus is coming to make all sad things come untrue. Gosh. I mean, guys, as long as we live as exiles in this world, listen, the pain, the frustration that we feel around us, it's real. You know, I don't take that lightly. It's real. It hurts. It's hard. But we can still have joy in exile. We have been rescued. We have been sent. And one day, he's coming back. And all sad things will come untrue. So have a great joy in that, church. Let's come now to our invitation. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up onto the stage. Invitation is going to be twofold. First and foremost, those of you in this room, you're still living in the very first exile. You are exiled from God. You've got to understand that is your death sentence. That Jesus has come to pull you out of it. I mean, you might be sitting here this morning. Maybe you, maybe you didn't even want to come here. You didn't want to be here. You came here for whatever reason. But maybe in your mind, God's just this vengeful God who's just sitting up there waiting to send people to hell. Guys, no. He sent Jesus to pull you out of hell. He's not up there waiting to send anybody there. He's trying to get you out of it. And he sent Jesus to do this. Listen, if you are an exile, if you are separated from God this morning, let today be a day of salvation for you. Surrender your life to Jesus. Believe in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Surrender yourself to the Lord. Be saved from your sin. Be saved from death. Be saved from exile. And be saved into abundant, eternal life with the Father. The second invitation is for those of us who are already Christians and we are living as exiles in this world. Listen, I know Christmas is the time, you know, it's supposed to be merry and bright and all the things, but for a lot of us in this room, Christmas time is just a greater reminder that this world is not our home. Let's just be real. For some of us in this room, Christmas is the worst time of year for you because it's a reminder of people we've lost. It's a reminder of conflict and brokenness within our own families. For some of us, you're struggling to make ends meet and so you don't even know how you're going to give your kids Christmas presents this year. Listen, Jesus has overcome. You are not a victim. You are not a captive. You're a conqueror and a victor in Christ. Nothing will change that. And one day, he will come back and his victory will be in full. If you need to pray with somebody this morning, I'm going to ask the counselors, go ahead and come on up here. Okay, go ahead, counselors, stand on up. Come on down here, okay? If you're in this room and you're struggling with joy, maybe it's just the season you're in, I don't know, but the joy is just absent from you right now. Come and lay your burdens at the feet of the cross. Come pray with one of our counselors. Just we are here for you, okay? Um, again, the brokenness of this world, it's, it's real. We don't take it lightly. But let's choose joy this morning. And not a so-so joy, not a kind of joy, not a good joy. 
Let's choose great joy. For Christ has come, he has conquered, and he is coming back. Church, let's stand and let's sing. The invitation is this, whosoever will, for whatever reason, you come.